Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I invite you to join me as we dive into Scripture to find ways that we can live faithfully and meaningfully in our complicated and troubled world. Although I come from a Christian perspective, I hope that what I have to say will be meaningful for Christians, Jews, Muslims, and other faith traditions. You may even find something of value here if you don't identify with any faith tradition. If you're like me, the terrorist attack on Israel by Hamas and the ensuing military conflict and political fallout that it's triggered has left you troubled and confused. I find it hard to witness the violence and suffering shown constantly on newscasts without averting my eyes. Should we look away? What is the proper response to such tragedy? Let's turn to an event in the ministry of Jesus that might provide some insight. Hear the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we going to go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand. Here ends the reading. As Jesus traveled around the countryside preaching, teaching, and healing, he must have seen every type of suffering imaginable. Effective medical treatment, was non-existent. Extreme poverty and hunger were rampant. There was always the threat of violence inflicted by the occupying Roman forces. 
Centuries later, the English philosopher Thomas Hobbes' description of the life of humanity as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short would certainly have applied to the people surrounding Jesus and his traveling band of disciples. Picture the Israelis today whose homes were destroyed and the families murdered in the Hamas attack. Picture also the hordes of innocent men, women, and children trying to flee the violence in Gaza. Many of them injured, hospitals destroyed. In our Bible story today, a large crowd has assembled to hear Jesus because the news was spreading that he was healing people of disease and offering them hope in their desperate situation. But the crowds were getting out of hand to the point that Jesus and his crew did not even have a chance to rest or even eat. So they tried to get away. But the crowds are waiting for them. And Jesus' response? Mark says, Jesus had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus found himself unable to turn his back on their need, even to his own detriment. He could not, or would not, look away from human suffering. Jesus preaches until it's almost dark. The crowd will soon need something to eat. So Jesus' disciples suggest that he send them away to fend for themselves. He's already taught them. But again, Jesus has compassion for the people. He commands the disciples to provide the meal. But they come up with the excuse that they can't possibly afford to feed this many people. Well, you know the rest of the story. Miraculously, they feed the entire crowd with five loaves of bread and two fish, and they have some left over. There is a lot that we could say about this miracle story, but I want to focus on one word, compassion. Jesus could have legitimately sent the crowd away hungry, but his compassion would not allow it. There is no doubt that Jesus Christ was a compassionate person. You might even say that he was the most compassionate person who ever lived, since he willingly gave his life for all of humanity. He suffered for us. The Apostle Paul says that we should follow in Jesus' footsteps. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion. As I've watched the accounts of the violence in Israel and Gaza, many emotions have been stirred up inside of me. And in that emotional mix, I suspect, or at least hope, that there's a measure of compassion. So let's take a look at what compassion actually is and how we can recognize it and grow it within our hearts. Compassion is one of three related caring emotions. Let's call them the trinity of caring. They are sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Notice that all three of these words contain a form of 
of the word passion. The pathy in empathy and sympathy is a form of the word passion. In this case, passion does not refer to a strong feeling, but to suffering. Passion plays, for example, tell the story of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Likewise, the movie The Passion of the Christ that was out a few years ago was about the suffering of Jesus. Sympathy, empathy, and compassion, then, all have to do with how we relate to the suffering of other people. But they each have a distinct meaning. Sympathy is the ability to understand what someone is experiencing when they're facing hard times. For example, I can feel sympathy for a homeless person who's living on the street. Although I've never been homeless myself, I can imagine how challenging it would be not to know where I was going to sleep tonight. When I feel sympathy for someone, I understand what they're going through but I might not be motivated to do anything about it. When I walk down the street and feel sympathy for someone holding out a cup for a donation, I'm likely to avert my eyes and keep on walking. I feel a moment of guilt, but that quickly fades. The same thing happens when I see those cute kids with orthopedic problems on TV. My heart aches for a moment, and then I either look away or change the channel. I can only take so much without feeling really uncomfortable. I can feel sympathy for the people of Israel and Gaza. Not only have I learned about this area on TV, I've traveled extensively in Israel. I have friends who are living there. Some of my friends are Israelis and some Palestinians. My experiences in Israel make it possible for me to understand what these people are going through. I can sympathize with them. Even if you've never set foot in Israel, you know enough about the region and culture from TV or perhaps through Bible studies that you attended. You know enough to sympathize, to understand what they're going through. But sympathy on its own is of limited value. Because I understand and even mourn for the loss of life in Israel, my understanding doesn't do them any good in itself. That's why we want to turn away from disaster. Our sympathy makes us feel helpless. It can feel be guilt-inducing and even leave us feeling hopeless. Sympathy has even a less worthy relative, and that's pity. Pity is sympathy with the added dimension of condescension or scorn. Pity may lead us to deride or berate an unfortunate person because they're inferior or irresponsible and deserve their misfortune. I often hear people criticizing people on welfare because they're too lazy to work. We might pity the people of Gaza who are being bombed but think that they're reaping the punishment for what Hamas did. We may pity the people of Israel who were killed, but think, well, they chose to live there. Pity blames the victim. Empathy, on the other hand, differs from sympathy or pity 
in that instead of understanding another person's suffering, we actually experience what they experience. It's the old walk a mile in my shoes phenomenon. When we empathize, we are sharing in another's suffering, not just understanding it. I remember watching an early episode of the Star original Star Trek series on TV, which, which featured a woman on a distant planet who was known as the empath. When someone sick or dying was brought to her, she could touch them and absorb their sickness and suffering. As she empathized with them, she began to suffer from their wounds or sickness, while at the same time, they were getting better. While this was science fiction, it illustrated the real human capacity to take on someone else's pain. Empathy is an important feature of hospice caregiving. The people who are attracted to hospice caregiving often have a strong tendency toward empathy. Often such caregivers, as they sit by the bedside of a dying person holding their hand, experience and share in the suffering of the dying. I've witnessed this to be a powerful force in easing the suffering of someone as they're experiencing the pain and anxiety that can accompany dying. At the same time, empathetic hospice caregivers must practice self-care because they can become emotionally drained or even physically ill in the process. Empathy is real and powerful. It is not science fiction. Jesus Christ was an empath. One example is from this story of which of when he healed Peter's mother. It says, When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve them. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew is referring to the passage in Isaiah, often called the suffering servant, a passage that many believe is a description of the Messiah, or Jesus, who would take sins upon himself. Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus' empathy extends to the whole human race throughout time. But empathy, like sympathy, is limited in its value. The skeptic might even say that it's nothing more than saying misery loves company. Even if I identify with Israelis and Palestinians, Palestinians suffering in war to the point that I make myself sick, 
And even if their suffering is relieved by knowing that we care, they're still suffering. What is important, then, is to move from sympathy and empathy to compassion. Compassion contains the elements of sympathy and empathy. We can understand someone else's suffering, and we can feel it in our bones as though it was happening to us. But the added dimension of compassion is being moved to action. We don't just stand by and watch. We don't just share the suffering. We use sympathy and empathy as a call to do something. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that I started with? It said that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. The disciples wanted to turn them away. But Jesus took the time to teach them and comfort them. And instead of sending them away hungry at the end of his teaching session, he fed them. He did something. And we can too. Our faith leads to mission. For us, having compassion for the people who are caught up in the war in Israel means taking action, no matter how limited and ineffective that action may seem. We can take action by expressing our moral outrage at the terrorist acts that were perpetrated against the Jews. We can lift our voices against anti-Semitism anywhere. We can speak out against the continued violence and advocate for peace and restraint. And our country can literally follow the example of Jesus on the mountainside that day and feed the multitudes. We can refuse to send them away hungry, no matter what it costs. And when this round of violence ends, compassion requires that we not just turn away and forget. The most powerful thing we powerful thing we can do is to pray. Pray deeply and pray loudly. And when our prayers seem fable or ineffective, remember the words of Paul in Romans and know that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So don't give up. Don't lose hope. Use your whole emotional toolbox. Sympathize. Empathize. Be compassionate. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. <music>